But you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 8. As we return to that book of wisdom, that burp, uh, book, that burp, that book of enigma, that book of perplexity. We're going to look at verses 10 through 17 of chapter 8 this evening, and I will read those chapters for us. So Ecclesiastes chapter 8, begin reading at verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had done, uh, had so done. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil work not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity which occurs on earth, that there are just just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. So I commended enjoyment, because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat and drink and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. And when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. Amen. Well, let us pray. Our sovereign Lord, we are thankful that you know the end from the beginning, that you know all things by one blessed, simultaneous, undivided act. This is a difficult thing for us to fathom and grasp when we consider your knowledge, O God. Yet as we are bound by time, as we see succession, O God, thank you that you reveal yourself to us, even in this language, that you are the potentate of time, that we cannot know your works from the beginning to the end, O God. We cannot peer in and find future. We know there are certain things that are true, that you shall come again to judge the living and the dead. But we confess, O oh God, we really don't know how our lives are going to unfold as much as we'd like to know that answer. And so we pray, O oh God, that we would put our faith in you, put our trust in you, even when we see injustice, injustice done against the righteous, injustice done against Christians, injustice done against us, O oh God. May we understand that there is a time for everything under heaven. There is a purpose for everything under heaven. And you're the one who moves all things according to your plan. What has done is what shall be. And so may we put our faith in this, O oh God. May we fear you. May we honor you, regardless of what may come in our life. This is difficult for us to do, O oh God, yet we, that's why we need your spirit. That's why we need your mercy. And that's why we need your grace. And thank you that we have that in the finished work of Christ. For even the Son of Man suffered. Even the Son of Man learned obedience. Even the Son of Man uh, was crucified unjustly upon that tree. Yet we're thankful, O oh God, that that was your predetermined plan to bring give sinners everlasting life, that he might bear the punishment upon himself. Thank you for delayed judgment. Thank you for judgment poured out upon another, that when we go to the judgment day, O oh God, we do so clothed in his righteousness. So may this give us comfort and strength as we come to your word this night. May we better understand what is going on in your word here. This is a difficult book. So please give us illumination by your spirit to understand what you have for us this night. Be with us by your spirit, strengthen your saints, save sinners, and all things, O God, we pray that you be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. 
Well, certainly tyrants and dictators have been on our minds the past couple of years, and it has been on the mind of the preacher throughout this book, and especially chapter eight. It's been a while since we've been in the book after I had some time off, but if you remember in chapter eight, verses two through nine, he talks about how one must keep the king's commandments. The one must consider the blessedness and the goodness and to seek the good of the king. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. The reality is he's talking about tyrants. And there are tyrants and dictators, men for their own gain, who squash other people. Men, as he says in verse 9, there is a time in which one man rules over, over another to his own hurt. The reality is tyrants and dictators are actually the norm. When you ever see a good leader, that is the exception. And we ought to cling to that exception when we find it. But for the most part, we're going to deal with dictators and tyrants in this world. The reality is, even though we have to deal with them and we must still serve them, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, I'd be lying if I didn't say, and you'd be lying if you didn't say, we all have the desire to have them receive their comeuppance. We all have the desire for them to receive their due for all the reign of terror that they brought and inflicted upon other people. They brought pain and misery, and we want to see them get theirs. We want to see justice poured out upon them. But sometimes, humanly speaking, that isn't always the case, is it? Sometimes, humanly speaking, the most wicked men get off scot-free. And this is what the, uh, the preacher is wrestling with as he comes to this enigma, as he comes to consider justice and comes to consider its delay, humanly speaking, with respect to life under the sun. And that is an enigma that we all wrestle with. That is an enigma that men and women and children in the past have wrestled with. That is an enigma that the preacher is wrestling with here. And remember, the book is all about enigmas, things that don't make sense. There's a fallen world in which we live in. There's going to be inconsistency. Things are not going to be fair in this fall, present evil age. And so the section really is, what do we do when wicked men don't receive their due? And what are the implications of this delayed judgment? Now, the problem we could draw out here certainly could be delayed judgment. But I think the problem that we see here is the problem of death. But it's death in a different sense than what we've seen in the book. We've seen death is the great leveler. Death is coming to us all. But there is another reason that he draws out death here. The problem is, and this is where the conundrum comes up, sometimes, humanly speaking, death is not enough for tyrants, is it? We want them to receive more than just death. We want them to receive more than just kind of dying and not facing the punishment further from what they have done for all that they have done it seems when they die they don't get their just due there is this kind of you feel gypped in a lot of ways there is this delayed judgment that's what the preacher wrestles with as he comes to consider the funeral of a tyrant in verse 10 so there is delayed judgment and in ecclesiastes 8 verse 10 through 17 the preacher observes this reality sometimes people don't get theirs right away Sometimes there is this reality, and most of the time, of delayed judgment. And the preacher, who I believe is Solomon, gives us some valuable insight on how to deal with this reality. And there are two things that he gives us, two things we ought to glean from these passages. And the first is, better to fear God, verses 10 through 13. That's our first point. It is always better to fear God and do what is right 
verses 10 through 13. Then secondly, the other thing he gleans, it is better to enjoy what God gives, verses 14 through 17. He's brought this up a lot as well, but it comes up again here. Better to enjoy what God gives in verses 14 through 17. So those are my two points. Better to fear God and better to enjoy what God gives. So let's first look at better to fear God in verses 10 through 13. And again, the scenario that we see here is he's at a funeral procession. He's at a funeral of the wicked, and he stops and ponders and considers. If you remember in chapter 7, he said it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. The reason being, when you go to the house of mourning, you stop and ponder and consider life's problems. You stop and ponder and consider life's big questions. If you go to the place of dancing, if you go to the place of drinking, if you go to the place to hide from those problems, you're going to deal with things that are frivolous that do not last. But if you go to a funeral, you're going to ponder and consider life, ponder and consider death, ponder and consider life's big questions. And the question that he is considering is the hypocrisy of this one who is being buried, or perhaps many wicked who are being buried. Certainly probably isn't just a tyrant, could apply to many, but it does certainly apply to tyrants. Then I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. That is, he's considering and pondering, considering who they are. Because the reality is, they did terrible things, but they would still go to church on Saturday. They would still go to church on Sunday. They would still enter into the house of the Lord and look like they're honoring God. They're violating and giving rash vows that we saw in chapter 5. When one is not to, one is to let their words be few before God most high. One is to fear God most high. Yet they entered in and their hearts were far from him. You could see, and that wasn't, it was a clear thing. They would do terrible things, yet they would go to church still on Sunday. The reality is tyrants in history weren't always atheistic, were they? They weren't always so-called God-haters, were they? Sometimes they did it in the name of the king. Sometimes they did it in the name of the lords. And then they would go after they you know, engaged in bloodshed, would go into God's house and worship God. Many of the kings of Israel did this very thing. When you consider the wars of religion during the Puritan era, I mean, it was wee Willie Laud who was taking out the Puritans, promoting high church Anglicanism. He was hunting down Puritans and then having church on Sunday. I mean, come on, it's mind-boggling when you consider such things. And it's like we willy dying, and the Puritans are like, wait, he killed all our friends. Wait, he did all these terrible things. And why is everybody praising him? Why is everybody giving him honor? They destroyed people's lives. They engaged in wickedness, yet they still went to the house of the Lord. But yet, in their burial, people have a colored remembrance of what they did. That's what I think the language means here. And they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. Yes, they're going to be forgotten, but that's not the point. The point is people forgot all the atrocities that they engaged in. People are praising their good side at this funeral. People are praising all the blessed, the so-called blessed things that they did. Kidner says the dictator or the corrupt tycoon may have bent the rules, it will be said, but after all, they got things done. They had flair. They lived in style. 
Time has passed, and sometimes people forget the darker side of wicked people. And even when you consider tyrants, it's a mind-boggling thing. And it really is a conundrum, isn't it? When a tyrant is praised, when a dictator who engages in, in, in bloodshed is honored. Isn't that a perplexing thing in life? Isn't that a difficult thing to ponder and consider? I remember years ago watching a documentary on North Korea. And I can't remember specifically who went where, but anyway, it was helping people have cataract surgery. And so the people, some people came in, they helped people get their cataracts fixed. And afterward, they have a portrait. I can't remember which of the three leaders it was. But in any case, they're bowing before that leader, thanking him for all that he did, thanking him for all these wonderful things. Yet he is the one who puts them in poverty. They were the ones that put them in destitution. People are easily forgetful, brethren, of the things, the wicked things that people do. So here's Solomon sitting in a funeral and going, wait, that guy was a wretch. Why is he, you know, why are we singing and celebrating his life? Sometimes celebration of life just pours salt in wounds. And so the reality is people forgot in the city where they had done so. This also is vanity. They didn't receive their comeuppance. They didn't receive what is due unto them. Death, in a lot of ways, wasn't enough, humanly speaking. Think about all the atrocities Hitler did, right? Him just killing himself in his bunker just doesn't seem right, does it? Humanly speaking. And I know you're like, Mike, you sound like a wretch. It's because, A, I am a wretch. And, B, you all think that sometimes, too. We think that way. They just didn't get enough judgment poured out upon them. And so as he ponders this, he goes to a general application of what delayed judgment can promote. Verse 11, and he says it very explicitly, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. We saw in chapter five with respect to uh, oppression of the poor, violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at such a thing. When there's bureaucracy, when there are gatekeepers, when there's red tape, don't be surprised by such things in this fallen age. If things take a long time, like standing in line to get through security at an airport or the idea of trying to get your passport, don't be surprised by those very things. It's not because there isn't an efficient way to do things. It's because of government. It's because of red tape. It's because... Official upon official upon official is the language of chapter 5, verse 8. High official watches over high official, and higher official officials over them. That's the implication, or that's what's being mentioned in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And sometimes it can take a long time for judgment to come about. And again, certainly human and divine judgment is in view here, and we'll talk about divine judgment in just a moment but especially human. That is, people who are go, are, should be prosecuted and thrown in prison are not. And that's a conundrum. That's a perplexity. Why is that? Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. And, you know, brethren, we live in a time where, you know, we order our thing off Amazon. It should come in two days. And if it doesn't, we get angry, right? 
you know, we have our little phones. If it doesn't load in three seconds, we begin to lose our minds. I mean, we've lost the ability to be patient. You know, we, have, we, need, the, we need immediate satisfaction. Sometimes that is not always the case, especially when it comes to judgments. You want to know why? There does need to be some sort of of, of, of due diligence done, but sometimes it seems like it's taking a lot longer than it should. And so when it seems like things are taking a lot longer, the preacher makes a very apt observation. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Well, I didn't get struck by lightning today after I did this, that, or the other. I guess I can get off scot-free. They only gave me a slap on the wrist. I'm just going to go and steal again and punch people again. I'm just going to do those very things. They'll bring me into prison. They'll say, don't do it. And then because of our system, they'll kick me out again. I mean, it doesn't stop anything, does it? It doesn't cause people to stop and do anything, does it? Especially when judgment A isn't working and B is not executed in a speedily manner. People start to think I wasn't struck by lightning. I engaged in this, that, or the other, but no one is punishing me. I'm just going to continue to fulfill my devices, continue to fill my gratifications, continue to do what I wish and I want. And so, so one might think then, why don't we just live in a wicked way? Just to live an evil sort of life. Why don't we do such things well? Thankfully, the preacher comes out in verse 12 and says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well. See, this is the clash with Proverbs, isn't it? This is the clash with, with traditional wisdom. You do what's right, you'll receive good things. You do wicked things, you'll receive your punishment. Well, Ecclesiastes kind of throws that on its head and says that's not always the case. But yet, even though a wicked person lives a hundred times or his days are prolonged, it is still better to be it is still well with those who fear God and who fear before him. The reality is it is always better to be under God most high through faith. It was always better to serve the high king of heaven than it is to be under the, uh, the under our own sin. The implication is one puts their trust in God and his ways rather than the ways of sin. When you consider what wisdom is, again, it's the right use of God's law, right? It's taking God's law and applying it to various situations. In fact, in Job and in Proverbs, what is the fear of the Lord? Uh, the fear of the, uh, the, the fear of the Lord, uh, the fear of the Lord is wisdom to shun evil is understanding. How do you understand the fear of the Lord? How do you understand wisdom? Flee from sin. And that's clearly the implication here. And in fact, Solomon does say in Proverbs, the way of the sinner is hard. I mean, just practically speaking, if you're an angry jerk all the time, you're not going to have any friends, right? I mean, you're just going to push everybody away. If you're a freeloader and just want to borrow from your friends all the time, you're not going to have any friends after a while as well, because they know you're a freeloader. The way of the sinner is hard. People typically like nice people, who care and have are self-sufficient, who can sit. That's typically, again, I'm talking humanly speaking in such a way. But even so, for the people of God, it is always better to fear God. We see his covenant focus coming out. Yes, he's on this quest of observation, but it's not without his covenantal understanding. It is always better to fear God. 
It's always better to be before him. It's always better to do what is right. And Solomon learned this the hard way. As I believe, I could be wrong because there's a million ways to take Ecclesiastes, which I think summarizes the point of the book, conundrums and inconsistencies. But I do think it's Solomon after he engaged in all, after he looked at all the women, after he went after all those women. I mean, he learned the hard way, didn't he, with respect to these things. But he's saying it is always better to fear God. And notice he doesn't take away the perplexity and take away the enigma and take away the inconsistency. There's still going to be injustice. There's still going to be delay when it comes to judgment. Yet it's better to fear God. That's why the end of the whole matter in a life of inconsistency is to fear God and keep his commandments. It's always better to do what is right. And Israel too learned that the hard way. They always they went after the ways of the nations and they were vomited out of the land for their wickedness. It's always better to fear God. Don't be tempted to follow the ways of the world. And he says in verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow because he does not fear before God. It is better for those who fear God. Henry says, it is the happiness of all that fear God, that in the worst of times, it shall be well with them, Their happiness in God's favor cannot be prejudiced, nor their communion with God interrupted by their troubles. They are in a good case, for they are kept in a good frame under their troubles. And in the end, they shall have a blessed deliverance from and an abundant recompense for their troubles. It is always better to be before God, because it will not be well with those who are not in Christ. It will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are but a shadow. Life really is fleeting. It's gone just like that. We really aren't that special. I know your mother told you you're special and I love you and I think you're special, but in the grand scheme of life, we're not that special, right? God loves you. If you're in Christ, that's good too. But again, in the grand scheme of the world, most people won't know who we are. In the grand scheme of history, most people won't know who we are. We are but a shadow in this vain life in which we live. And especially for the wicked, they are but a shadow. Life is only so long. And if he goes in that life, not believing in Christ, not fearing God, he shall receive his recompense. You see, the the preacher draws out here what's implied in verse 13 is that they will receive judgment, right? There is a coming day of judgment. I know that's hard for modern delicate ears, but Christ is going to come again to judge the living and the dead, isn't he? And those who are not in Christ shall receive their just due for their violations against God most high righteously. But thankfully, there is mercy in Christ who bore the punishment upon himself and time judgment came forward in him. If you believe on him, you shall have mercy and everlasting life that when you go to the judgment day, you don't need to fear because you're already not guilty in him. But the reality is he'll manifest his justice against the wicked, but manifest his mercy against, uh, towards the redeemed on that final day. There is a day of judgment that is coming. God's retribution shall come, but it is simply delayed. And it is a blessing that it is delayed. I think this is the point of the Noahic covenant. God gives temporal blessings in this world, yes. But the point of the rainbow is that God is delaying his final judgment, right? 
He's not going to judge the world like he did with that flood again until that final day. And delayed judgment is a very good thing. I know we want everybody to get theirs, but delayed judgment is a very good thing. And I'll point that out uh, towards the end of the section or the, or of the, of the, yeah, of the section, but God really shall come again to judge the living and the dead. Divine retribution shall come when Christ comes again his second time. So that's why it is always better to fear God, to live according to his ways, to fear God by faith. When I talk about fear the Lord, certainly it is fear the Lord is wisdom, shun evil is understanding, but it is a filial fear. It is a faith in Christ. It is a recognition of who he is and what he has done. It is looking to him by faith and trust in him to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, which I believe is sanctification in Philippians 2. But it all is connected to what Christ has done, believing upon him savingly and continuing to walk by faith in him in this Christian life and to live in a manner consistent with the gospel, not going the ways of the world, but following what our, our master has commanded of us. And that's why this is a valuable lesson for all of us. So that's why I like Ecclesiastes and I like Daniel and I'm, I like the sections on exile, as I said this morning, because that's more like the situation we're in. We're not under a theocracy, right? That you were not under, we're not like what Israel was. We are the new covenant Israel, the New Testament Israel, absolutely for sure. When it comes to what we see in the world in which we live in, we don't live under a theocracy. So that's why exiles are helpful. Ecclesiastes is helpful. How ought we to live in a broken, inconsistent, fallen world? Well, fear God and keep his commandments. Because, brethren, we cannot solve all the conundrums, can we? We're not going to solve all the injustices. We're not going to solve all the problems. We're not going to solve all, every, all the problems and issues in this world, in whatever country there are, because there's a million fold in every single country when it comes to the fallen world we live in. And so what do we do? Well, fear God and keep his commandments. Our task is to be faithful in the realm that God has called us to live, to be faithful Christians, be faithful under, uh, as we gather together, be faithful in Bible reading and prayer, be faithful as we seek to consider others better than ourselves. That's what we can do. Faithful spouses, faithful parents, faithful workers in our occupation. That's God's plan for our life, dear brethren, is to be faithful in those things. It's very mundane, but it's better to be faithful and fear God rather than to be successful and be under his wrath. Always, it's always better to fear God and live according to his ways, and you only do so through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's always better to fear God, but it's also better to enjoy what God gives, verses 14 through 17. Verses 14 and 15, he tells us we ought to enjoy the fruit of our labor in a life of enigma, in a life of perplexity, because injustice still abounds. Again, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes clash here. There is vanity, verse 14, which occurs on earth. There are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. That is, just people receive what the wicked should be receiving. And then vice versa. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. There is injustice done to righteous people. It's not just that there's delayed, ju or a delayed 
a judgment upon people who engage in justice, but the people who receive injustice might not deserve it. They might not deserve to be killed. They might not deserve to be persecuted. Again, humanly speaking, might not deserve to receive what they are receiving. And brethren, Christians throughout generations have received this very thing. They've been persecuted. They've been unjustly treated. And brethren, most of the time, well, I shouldn't say most of them, most of what I've read when it comes to persecution in history, you know what governments charged Christians with? It wasn't preaching the gospel. It was espionage. It was challenging the state. It was subverting the message of the country. It was being a spy and engaging in treason. That's what people were charged with for simply believing the gospel, you know, sharing some food with the poor. That's what they were charged with, brethren. For gathering, they said they wanted to gather. They gathered together. Oh, you can't do that because you're going to try and, you know, subvert the king. That's what it was. Injustice done. And we shouldn't be surprised by that very thing. We shouldn't be surprised when we receive injustice as God's people. But fearing God must still be our call, right? Trusting in God must still be our task. And what's interesting, fearing God doesn't change the fact there's going to be injustice, but the injustice we receive doesn't change the fact we need to fear God. Always doing what is right, regardless of the outward circumstances that might come upon us. Regardless of the pain and sorrow we may suffer, we must always do what God asks of us. And that's hard to do, isn't it? Thankfully, he walks with us during those times. And thankfully, though, God also gives us good things to enjoy in this world. Verse 15. So I commended, after seeing this is vanity, I said that this also is vanity. So I commended enjoyment, because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. Again, he never resolves the tension, does he? But he just gives us little important tidbits, important insights on how we can live in a perplexing world. One of the ways which we can live in a perplexing world, brethren, is to enjoy the good things God gives. So I commanded in a world full of sadness and sorrow, sometimes God does give us little things that are good. He gives us good food. He gives us rest. He gives us hobbies we can enjoy. Those are good things. So I commended enjoyment because man has nothing better under the sun than to eat and drink and be merry. Mirth is good, brethren. It isn't everything. If we're seeking mirth for the sake of mirth, if we're seeking pleasure for the sake of pleasure, uh, isn't good. If it's an idol, that's not great. But in and of itself, when we consider the doctrine of creation that God has made this world and given good things in this world, shouldn't we then enjoy the good things that he gives us in this world? I mean, he's already unpacked this a lot already. In Ecclesiastes 2, 3, 5, 7, God gives good gifts, and, but he also gives the gifts to enjoy it. Sometimes God gives gifts to people, but he doesn't give them the, the gift to enjoy it. Listen to Henry. Then I commended joy, a holy security and serenity of mind. 
arising from a confidence in God and his power, providence, and promise. Because a man has no better thing under the sun than to eat and drink, that is, soberly and thankfully, to make use of the things of this life according as his rank is, and to be cheerful that whatever happens, for that shall abide with him of his labor. God gives good things. Don't scoff at it. I'm not saying blow the bank. I'm not saying sin. As long as it isn't prohibited in the Bible or isn't illegal, you may enjoy it. Because God gives good things on this green earth for us to enjoy. In a world full of such sadness, when we have those moments of goodness, should we not praise him for that very thing? You see, we need to take the doctrine of creation and take it back from apologetics. Everyone puts the doctrine of creation in apologetics when you defend against the heathen. Yeah, that's fine, okay. We need to put it back in the realm of the doctrine of God and consider that there was, that when we consider all things, there's only really two things, God and all things not God. And the God who has perfect life in and of himself created this world and, 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 and in his creation gave good things. Even at creation, he should have just, he could have just said, Adam, just serve me. And so he says, Adam, you can have every tree of the, of, of the garden, but just don't have this one tree, but every tree you may have. He gave him good things. He made him a vice regent. God is good in creation. He's even more glorious in new creation and redemption. But we ought not to balk at the doctrine of creation in this way. Why scoff at God's good things when we live in a world of pain and misery? And if we can enjoy those things and find a good hobby, find a good food to eat. Again, don't have eight cakes tonight. But if you want to be like a piece of cake, that's fine. And say, thank you, Lord. I'm struggling today. I'm going to have this piece of cake. Sometimes that helps us too. You know, the ABCs of physical help, food and sleep, all those good things. We need to praise him for those blessed gifts that he, do, that he gives. That's why Pharisees drive me nuts. I know I can be a Pharisee. I understand that. But it's also the fact, uh, but why scoff at all these blessed things? Now, again, if you personally want to stop and not eat something, that's fine for whatever reason. But don't make anybody else feel bad for being able to enjoy those good things. God gives good things, and we need to praise him and thank him for it. Because the reality is, brethren, as he says in 7.14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. There might come a time when you so-called don't have abundance. There might come a time when you don't have those good nuggets and gifts that God gives. You know, we ought to praise God and be content in whatever situation we are in. But if God gives you good things now, praise him for it. Honor him, glorify him. Thankfully, he is pleased to do that even in a world of injustice. And that's why I really like Psalm 23. He says, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the, in the, the idea is there that it's not a quick picnic, that he, even though there's enemies surrounding him, he still has time to sit down and eat his meal. God is good with that, isn't he? And even too in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life.
So I commanded enjoyment after all these vanities to there's nothing better under the sun than to eat and drink and be merry for this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. So enjoy good things, but we must also submit to God in all things. Verses 16 and 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, sleep is a good gift, isn't it? I've heard the older you get, the harder it is to sleep sometimes. And there are sometimes the older I get, the harder it is to sleep sometimes. And sometimes when you consider the perplexities of life, you just think of them all the time and you can't sleep. That's what he's saying here. When I saw everything, when I applied my heart to know it, it just made me sleepless at night because the world is so full of sin and sadness. There's no sleep day or night. Then I saw it brings him grief, even all the things he considers. It leads to sleepless nights. Even this delay of judgment, it's still a problem. Again, the good things God gives doesn't always take away the sadness of the world. And he says, verse 17, then I saw all the work of God that a man can, cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. What he's trying to say is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We really don't know how this world is going to unfold. We really don't know how our life is going to unfold. And so what we must do is submit to God. That's why it's fear him and keep his commandments. We all like to try and plan. And yes, we have certain plans we're going to make and likely they'll come. They'll happen tomorrow, perhaps possibly maybe tomorrow's plans will happen. Who knows? But sometimes they will not because we really do not know the end from the beginning. We don't, we don't know what's, you know, driving homes, what's going to happen when we drive home. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We really don't know the future, but God does. And so we submit to the one who is the potentate of time. God in his providence is always unfolding his decree according to his purposes for his glory and for our good. There is a time for everything. There is a purpose for everything under heaven but we don't always know that that's why ecclesiastes 3 is a very comforting section of scripture there's a time for everything under heaven and even there alluding back to that in chapter 8 is alluding back to that we cannot find out the works of god from the beginning to the end he said eternity in our hearts he's made everything beautiful in its time but we cannot find out the work that god does from beginning to end it doesn't matter how strong you are for though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Doesn't matter how wise you are. Though a wise man attempts to know it, he, he will not be able to find it. We cannot determine it. And that's why we submit. We put our faith in him. And it's always better to submit to the will of God with thanksgiving. His unfolding plan with joy and thankfulness to all that he has disposed in our life, even the tough things sometimes. They're difficult for us. They're hard for us, but we must submit to him and know that he works all things for our good and for his glory. There really is a time for everything under heaven. That is something only the believer has as an assurance. Unbelievers don't have that. Unbelievers don't have the assurance of God's providence, but you and I do. 
And God's covenant people really ought to know better. Sometimes we're forgetful in these things as well. We must fear God and submit to his wise judgments, even as he delays his judgment. Now we'll close with this last thought. There really is good news when it comes to God's delay of judgment, isn't there? Now there is going to be a day when the wicked shall be resurrected to the resurrection of condemnation, Jesus's words in John 5, and those who are his to the resurrection of life. That's the language of our Christ in John 5, 29. But those who are, have sinned against God, those who continue in their sin against God shall receive that just judgment. Those who are in Christ shall receive everlasting life. And one thing we must be praising God for is that delay in judgment. We must see his grace in his delay in judgment because without God's delay, there would be no gospel, right? If God just punished us the minute we sinned, if God just brought about his final fury the minute we engaged in some sort of violation of his law, there would be no gospel. We'd all be dead. But God in his mercy delays. If God did not delay, there would be no Genesis 3.15. And if there's no Genesis 3.15, then there is no hope for us. If God judged us right away, then Paul would have died a murderer, Peter a denier, David an adulterer, you a whatever. God's good to delay. Bridges says the ordinary course is to give the sinner time and space for repentance, to open to him a day of grace. And it is because God delays that if you're in Christ, he calls you out of darkness in time and space to give you everlasting life because he delayed his judgment and every time god tarries we wish he would come back right away but every time god tarries it really is for the salvation of sinners this is what peter says and this is where we will close second peter 3 8 a lot of people get this passage wrong maybe i should do that for our context 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 series but he's going to go on and talk about the day of the lord and the people in Second Peter were kind of concerned about, is God coming? Is God returning? They were kind of perplexed about these things. And so he does say in verse 7, the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, they are reserved for a fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So there will be a day of judgment. It is coming. But verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is, all those to whom the Father has given the Son, all those to whom God has predestined in eternity, not one of them shall be snatched from the hand of the Son. Not one of the sheep shall be snatched from the hand of the good shepherd. And until that last person is called, God will tarry that there might be salvation for sinners in this life. God's delayed judgment, Lee, is the platform for the good news of the gospel to spread to the ends of the earth that sinners might find mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. He delayed his judgment that the Son of Man might have the judgment poured out upon him that when you and I go to that judgment, 
we are already judged in the son. That is, we are not guilty and we are clothed with a righteousness, not our own. Praise be to God for his delayed judgment. Well, let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we are thankful for your blessed, wise plan of salvation. Thank you, O God, for your blessed and wise plan of redemption. Thank you, O God, for your blessed mercy, even as you unfold your purposes in time and space. We confess, O God, some things are very hard for us to understand. Some things are difficult for us to grasp and submit to. But help us to fear you as your people. Help us to fear you as those who've been redeemed and saved. Help us to trust in your promises and know what is right and what is true and what is good. And may we always seek to honor you, regardless of what injustice may be poured out upon us in this world. Help us know it is but a momentary light affliction. Whatever affliction we go through, as your word says, it is but momentary light affliction. and does not compare to the eternal weight of glory that awaits your people. Thank you for these promises, O God. Even as we go through this world with much tears, even as we go through this world with much sorrow and sadness, there is still hope and comfort that you give us as we walk this world. So help us, O God, to put our faith and trust in you. Help us to fear. Help us to submit to your will. And we do praise you and honor you, O God, for that delayed judgment. And we pray, O God, if there are any here today who do not know you, we pray, O God, that the reality of judgment would be pricked upon their hearts. More importantly, you would work a mighty work by your spirit to save them, that they might flee the judgment to come in Christ and in Christ alone. Thank you, O God, that as you tarry, sinners are saved. And we're thankful, O God, that all those who are yours shall be drawn unto you, and not one of them shall be cast out. Thank you for this. Thank you for this promise. And thank you that we can put our faith and trust in you. Thank you for your delay. But we do ask, O Christ, that you'd come quickly. So be with us now as we await your return. Be with us now as we go into the world and give us strength to fear you and keep your commandments by your spirit. Help us by your spirit, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.